It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome in to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for the next two hours. As we rock and roll on until 11 a.m. Eastern. Getting you ready for tonight's Thursday night football game between the Browns and the Broncos. Getting you ready for game number five. Of the NLCS, Braves up 3-1 to one in that. Red Sox go down 3-1, to one, losing to the Astros last night. A ton of playoff baseball to get into as well. Some college football storylines, as of course, I should say, as you do every single Thursday in the football season. Hickeys, pickies will come your way in 40 minutes from now. My guy, Rob Young, smart guy, numbers guy, accountant. So he should be good with some numbers, good with some spreads. We'll get his thoughts here and see if he can be the third contestant in a row. To go four and one. Congratulations to Joe Pidel two weeks ago. Congrats to Greg Caserta last week. Both of those gentlemen ripped through the picks. I'm wrong a ton. They are right a ton. They both go four and one. We'll see if Rob can keep up the four and one streak. Maybe even top them and go five and out. Oh. A ton to get into on this Thursday morning. As a reminder, though, I want to come. Uh, I want to remind you that we are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com. To find a location near you. So the big news yesterday, and where we'll start the show today, is potentially a massive trade that could go down in the NFL. It was rumored yesterday, there were reports out there from John McLean of the Houston Chronicle, who's very well connected within the Texans organization. Mark Berman, who who works for the Fox affiliate out in Houston. Both reporting that a Deshaun Watson trade seems like it could get done this week. If not this week, seems all but likely that it will be done before the November 2nd trade deadline. The team involved, the Miami Dolphins. So nothing official, but reporting is indicating that we are very close, and it's, it's more likely than not to happen that before November 2nd, the NFL trade deadline, Deshaun Watson will be on the move for the Texans going over to the Dolphins. Here's my initial takeaway. Here's my initial thought when those those rumors are put out there, or those reports, I should say, not rumors, but those reports by very well-connected and plugged-in people are put out there. The Miami Dolphins absolutely, absolutely cannot trade for Deshaun Watson. You can't do it before the trade deadline. Honestly, you really can't do it until we figure out the future, the legal future of Deshaun Watson. Looking at his trade value, looking at the, the risk versus the reward, To me, the risks far, far, far outweigh the reward. So let's break down what those risks are. What are the Dolphins trying to get? What what is the reward they are making for this risky move? And what are they putting on the line? Let's go backwards. Let's start with the reward that the Dolphins would get. Because on the field, forget legal issues, forget everything else. If we were just talking about on the field production, the Dolphins are getting one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL if they make this trade. Deshaun Watson is no doubt in my mind a top five quarterback in the NFL. Last year, he had his best year of his career, and the uh, the Texans went 4-12. That's an indictment on the Texans organization, not Deshaun Watson. 
This is a guy that is a true stud elite quarterback that you can feel great about quarterbacking your franchise for the next decade. Hey, Miami, as we know, they've been looking for their own franchise quarterback since Dan Marino retired. They have yet to be able to fill that void. They've tried many different places, Tua Tungvaloa being the latest one, and it seems they're ready to give up on that project already. So Deshaun Watson, without a doubt, just on the field production, is the best quarterback, is your next franchise quarterback for Miami since Dan Marino, and you've got a good one for the next decade. You are absolutely in Super Bowl contention for the next decade if you get Deshaun Watson, just from an on-the-field perspective. So with that said, right, guaranteed Super Bowl contention, best quarterback, best franchise quarterback you have since Dan Marino. Oh, yeah, he's 26 years old, so your window is wide open. It's not Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson where there's some wear and there's some tread on the tires, and for Aaron Rodgers' sake, you know, he's, he's up there, late 30s, so your window wouldn't be that high. This is basically... In terms of young franchise quarterbacks, the best you possibly could get. That's how highly regarded I have Deshaun Watson in my mind on the field. But with that said, again, let's go back to where I started. I absolutely would not do this trade if I'm the Dolphins. I don't think they can do this trade because the risks outweigh the rewards. So let's dive into those risks. I think there are a few here that the Dolphins should not be able to stomach and shouldn't even try to stomach. But intentions-wise, it seems like they will. Number one, one of the biggest risks, risks why I wouldn't do the deal from the Dolphins is Deshaun Watson's uncertain future, right? That's the first and foremost thing. We have no idea when and even if Deshaun Watson will be able to be on the field anytime soon. Right now, it's been highly reported and well-known. But just as a reminder, right now, Deshaun Watson is facing 22 civil lawsuit allegations, 10 criminal complaints. So far, the Houston PD is looking into. We have not really gotten any details or really haven't heard any news in a while, right? Really since the NFL season started, but that is what he's facing. 22 civil lawsuit allegations, 10 criminal complaints. He will be deposed in February. So really, you got to think between now and then, not much should change. Not much should, uh, should really happen between at least now and February. So even though he's not on the exempt list currently, right? He's not playing for the Texans. He never wants to play again. But the NFL has not put him on the exempt list. My guess, my feeling is that if the trade does go down and Deshaun Watson goes from, uh, from Houston to Miami, I do believe the NFL would put him on the exempt list. I don't think the NFL would allow Deshaun Watson with all those legal issues hanging over his head and some serious legal allegations hanging over his head I don't think they would allow him to be put on the field. I think it's a really bad look for the NFL. I know they plowed through optics. Sometimes they don't care what the public says. I don't think this is a battle. In today's day and age, they want to fight. So I don't think if Sean Watson is, is traded, I don't think he'd be put on the field. So if you're Miami now, you're trading for a guy in Deshaun Watson who I don't think can play this year. And next year, 2022, we have no idea how much he'll be able to play. There's a chance he could miss no games, right? If he's cleared and all these complaints and allegations are tossed out or he's found not guilty. Or there's a real chance. I mean, there's a real chance he can go to jail. If there's real evidence here and all of a sudden these, these complaints and these allegations and these criminal complaints are investigated and, and actual criminal charges are filed, then he goes to court. Not only is that a very long process, if he goes to jail, you're looking at years without Deshaun Watson and then forget about just getting him on the field. You know, that football is the last concern if that ever gets to that point. So right now, if you're the Dolphins, 
you're trying to you're putting a lot of eggs in the Deshaun Watson basket where you cannot guarantee even when even if he'll be on the field for you. There's zero clarity of when the next time Deshaun Watson will be able to step on a football field is. That's number one. That's why I wouldn't do the trade number one. The talent is absolutely there, but you cannot even guarantee he'll be even allowed to be on a football field again. Maybe that's dramatic. I get it. But if, if this goes a, a really, you know, down the wrong path, let's say, this is some serious, serious trouble Deshaun Watson could be in. So his uncertain future is the reason why I wouldn't do it. Also, not to mention, the draft capital the Dolphins would have to give up to acquire Deshaun Watson is hefty. So not only are you, you acquiring a player that you have no idea if he could play this year, if he could play next year, if he could ever play again, you're also giving up a ton to do so. Aaron Wilson, who covers you know, very um, well, who's covered the Texans for a while, very deep in that organization, knows the Texans organization in and out. Very good reporter, reports them for Sports Talk 790 down there in Houston. He wrote an article just yesterday. As this news is breaking, kind of still telling you what the trade offer would be from the Texans. He still believes that the trade demands for Houston have not gone down. So the, the, the asking price is still very high reported, which is three first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a combination of maybe a, a young player or two. So maybe it's three first-round picks, one second-round player. Maybe it's two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a young, you know, good, talented player. But either way, you're looking at five, six draft picks and high draft picks and or a young player or two. That's a lot. That is a lot to give up for a guy. Again, legally, you have no idea he'll be able to be in the field. If these legal issues were not there, personally, I would give up eight first-round picks for Deshaun Watson. If there was nothing in his background, if there was no controversy off the field, I'm giving up whatever it takes to get Deshaun Watson. I give up a whole draft, similar to what the Saints did to get Ricky Williams. I would give up a ton because that's how special, that's how rare it is to get a quarterback on the market like Deshaun Watson. But with that said, I am absolutely not getting up all this draft capital, all these first-round picks, second-round picks, possibly a young player or two, for a guy you can't guarantee can even be on your team. So if you look at what the, the Dolphins have draft capital-wise, they have the assets to give Houston. Now, let's not forget, I know they don't have their own first-round pick, right? Because when they were at number 12, the 49ers pick, they traded up to number 6. They gave the Eagles their first-round pick for 2022. But they still have the 49ers first-round pick next year. They have their own the following year, plus the 49ers, and they own after that. So they have Miami has four first-round picks the next three years. They have the assets to give to, uh, to Houston to get this trade done. But with that said, I am not giving up two, three, maybe even four first-round picks to get a quarterback that you can't even figure out the next date he'll be able to even put on a Miami Dolphins helmet. The asking price is cheap if none of these off-season, off-season, off-field accusations are there. With them there, you can't feel comfortable, you can't feel confident in trading all of that to get a player that you don't even know when and if he'll be on the field. So uncertain future is a risk I would not want to take in trading for Deshaun Watson because that's obviously number one. We don't know when he'll be able to play, if he'll be able to play. The, the draft capital, the asking price is still high. You're not getting 30 cents on the dollar for a guy that's first-round pick, maybe a, a conditional second, and you know you hope that things work themselves out and you have a franchise quarter for the next decade and we're looking back on that trade as a steal. The price is still very, very high. 
for a guy that you don't really know too much about when he'll be able to be on the field. And finally, the third and final reason why I would, would not feel great about trading for Deshaun Watson, why I would not, from the Dolphins, trade for, for Deshaun Watson right now, is that honestly, you look at around your team, the Dolphins stink. They have a ton of flaws this season. It's not just the quarterback, right? Their offensive line completely stinks. They're not able to give Tua time to throw. When Tua is not out there in Shakoi Brissett, he doesn't have any time to throw. So the offensive line can't block in the pass game. They can't open up any run, uh, running holes because guess what? The run game is, is non-existent. They are dead last in the NFL in rushing yards per game. They were somehow able to be a worse rushing team than the Steelers. And we know how bad their O-line is and how bad their running attack is. So you have the worst running game in the NFL. Your offensive line stinks. Your defense this year, the strength of your team, the secondary especially, with all the money and all the resources poured into the secondary, is getting absolutely shredded. So let me ask you this. Battle line, no run game, defense shredded. Weapons on the outside, eh. Does that sound familiar at all to you? Does that sound like another situation where a quarterback is in currently that wanted out? Because that's exactly, to me, no run game, bad O-line, bad defense. That's exactly what the Texans had in 2020. That's exactly what Deshaun Watson was dealing with last year when he was on the field. Now, to be fair, Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston not because of the team itself, the roster itself, but more because of the front office. Jack Easterby, the owner, Cal McNair, not listening to him, feeling like he was duped. So there is more angst, there's, there's more frustration with the front office and the owner than there is the talent on the team. But let's not also forget, this is, a, again, a 4-12 team last year. And Deshaun Watson's not the quarterback. They're 0-16 last year, the Texans. They are one of the worst teams in the NFL. It's a miracle they even won four games because Deshaun Watson willed them basically into every single game. But if you were the Dolphins now, and you look at just how little success Deshaun Watson had, I, I get it. It's a top quarterback. But your team needs so many different areas fixed that, you know what, the draft capital that you're giving up, you could sorely need, you could sorely use to draft an offensive lineman again, to maybe draft a stud receiver again, to get some help on the defense. That's another thing, too, when it comes to these draft, these draft picks. Not only are you giving up a ton for a guy you don't know when he'll be able to play, your team needs help in other areas that could be really used by the draft picks you're giving up. So when I look at this from a Dolphins perspective here, uncertain future, high asking price, and your, your team having so many holes, I don't see how this trade makes sense for the Dolphins. Am I crazy? Am I wrong? Or do you, or do you agree? Does this trade make sense? Should the Dolphins be able, or should the Dolphins, as you're saying, pull the trigger and make a trade for Deshaun Watson? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Right Network, Twitter. WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Tweet me there. Comment on Facebook. We have the live stream of the show both on Facebook and on Twitter at those handles. WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Facebook. Should the Dolphins pull the trigger and make a trade for Deshaun Watson? Get your thoughts, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Twitter, and when we return. How about the current Dolphins quarterback. What's the future of Tua Tunga Vailoa? I'll tell you that when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We're getting your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Should the Dolphins pull the trigger and trade for Deshaun Watson? For me, the risks far outweigh the reward. I would say absolutely not. Right now at this time with Deshaun Watson's future still so uncertain, I don't think if you're the Dolphins, you can stomach this and make the trade. I don't think they should. I wouldn't do it if I was Chris Greer, the general manager, if I was Brian Flores and had to say as a head coach or Stephen Ross as the owner. I would say far, far away from Deshaun Watson right now because of the all-field allegations. And I'm a big Deshaun Watson fan on the field. He's tremendous. Right now, though, the risks to me far outweigh the reward. But what about their current quarterback down there in Miami, Tua Tungavailoa? For me, right, with these rumors kind of really kind of puts the nail in the coffin that it looks like Tua's time in Miami, it's coming to an end. It's near. So despite having the quick hook where if you finish a season out or you see reports now that maybe there could be a trade for Tua Tungvaloa, maybe going to the Washington football team, maybe another team before this trade for Deshaun Watson is executed, you probably got to get rid of Tua. The year and a half he had in Miami, to me, it's a quick hook. But even with that said, his future is still very, very bright. He can, and I think he will, become a franchise quarterback in the NFL. And frankly, I think the Dolphins are absolutely asinine, ludicrous. To give up on Tua this early in his career. So whoever ends up trading for Tua, whether it's in a few weeks before the November 2nd trade deadline, whether this carries into the offseason and someone makes a move there, whoever ends up trading for Tua, I think will do so, one, at a tremendous bargain, but also, two, get a guy who can legitimately become your franchise quarterback. Because when you're looking at Tua and you're trying to value what he can become, frankly, I'd throw out his Miami career. The year and a half he's been with the Dolphins, I throw out because let's call for what it is. He never really got a fair shake from the beginning. This is coming from someone, me, who two years ago, when the whole tank for Tua run was on, and the Dolphins ended up not even getting the first overall pick, but getting five and still getting Tua, when they're at number five and debating who to take, I really was on the bandwagon. The only really one, to be honest. That said, don't draft Tua Tungvaloa if you're the Dolphins. Not because of Tua. I like Tua. I think he's a very good quarterback. But because I was nervous about the Dolphins' offensive line. A guy who, in Tua, has an injury history at Alabama. And that was playing behind one of the best offensive lines in the country. Now you have no O-line. A very young, inexperienced, porous offensive line in Miami. I did not think that combo worked out. But, as we know, they make the trade for him. Uh, they make the, the pick for him. They get Tua Tungvaloa. At that point, fine. Coming off hip surgery, I thought the best action, the best way to make sure Tua is healthy and ready to go was to redshirt him last year. And they started to do so. I thought Ryan Fitzpatrick should have played, if not the entire year, most of the year. And the Dolphins at least started out with that plan, having Tua learn, having him kind of rest and recover, and have uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick lead the ship in 2020. As you know, that lasted six games. I trusted the Dolphins that they knew what they were doing, that they thought Tua was ready to play. And evidently, as we saw, on again, off again, the rest of the season, he was not ready to play. Over those 10 games, he didn't even start them all. He was pulled a few times as well for Ryan Fitzpatrick to come in and save the day. It was clear and obvious that physically and mentally, 
Tua was not ready to play last year. Right? Physically, as we know, he's coming off the hip surgery the previous year, still trying to work his way back. Basically spent all of his first rookie season rehabbing. It was an awkward year anyway because of COVID, so you can't even really be in the facility and bond with your teammates and maybe even get the proper help you need in terms of recovery-wise. So physically, he was still trying to work his way back to 100% from the hip injury. Mentally, and you heard in this past offseason, admit that he didn't really know the playbook last year to its fullest. So he'd be at the line of scrimmage, he would see the play called, realize the defense is perfectly there to stop it, and he wouldn't know how to audible to another play. He wouldn't feel comfortable changing the play to the line of scrimmage. So physically, he wasn't there in 2020. Mentally, at times, he wasn't there in 2020. So for me, I was super excited to see what he had in year number two. I really thought this was going to be a, a big bounce back year for Tua. And now that he's finally fully healthy and had a full offseason to prepare, now that he's mentally knows the playbook, feels comfortable in the offense, even though he had a new offensive coordinator, really two this year, I really thought that this year number two was going to be a, a, a big year for Tua where he would really kind of show why he's a franchise quarterback and kind of dispel any of those doubts that were kind of starting to creep in after year number one of Miami. Well, I mean, frankly, year number two, right? We're right in the middle of it. We really haven't seen anything. Parker's him. Parker's the team. All right? The O-line, as we know, is still really, really shaky. That Part of that shakiness was having Tua get drilled uh, in the ribs by the Bills week two and missing three games. So now as you sit here through six weeks, Tua played one full game, played okay in the Patriots game on the road to open the season. They got the win. Second drive of the game, he's already sacked, I think, two or three times against the Bills in week two. Boom, hurts the ribs, fractured ribs, out for three weeks. Played okay, you know, played pretty well, I'd say, numbers-wise uh, against the Jaguars, but the Dolphins did lose when he returned last Sunday in London. So now you look at Tua, two full games he's played in year number two, and basically he's already at the door because these are Sean Watson rumors whether they get him this year or at the trade deadline, which seems like it's likelier to happen than not. Whether they can't get Watson, but they're already starting to look on to the next quarterback in the offseason – it seems like Tua's time in Miami is already over. But frankly, before we even started, before we even really know what kind of quarterback Tua is. And also, let's give let's take some of the pressure off him. Let's give him a little credit here because in Miami, talking about not getting a fair shake, forget just the, the injury or the health and put him in position to succeed. Let's also look at what he's working with. We talked about the offense line and how shaky it was. He has no time. To be able to, to catch the ball, set his feet, go through his proper reads, and read the defense to get the ball out. He has no, absolutely no run game to take the pressure off of him. Again, I mentioned before, they're dead last in rushing yards per game in the NFL. Dead last. They can't run the ball to save their lives. So now you're putting a quarterback and Tua back there with a shaky offensive line to begin with. With a very young and inexperienced, also, offensive line. So things get lost in translation. The communication isn't what it should be. They're still getting fooled by blitzes and different schemes. So you have a very young and porous offensive line, not giving Tua a ton of time to throw the ball. You can't run the ball really at all. So again, defenses now know they're going to throw the ball 30, 35, 40 times a game. That's the only mode of attack they have. And then, oh yeah, by the way, this year, especially more than ever, your defense is getting shredded. The secondary, which you put a ton of draft capital into, you put a ton of money into whether it's Byron Jones and free agency, whether it's Xavier Howard giving him a contract extension. There's been a lot of money put into the Dolphins secondary. They are getting shredded. They're getting torched. So now if you're Tua, 
There's no offensive line to block for you. You have no run game to take any sort of pressure off of you and keep the defense guessing. And when you're, by the way, more times than not, you're probably taking the field with your team in a deficit, with your team trailing, and you got to be the one to will your way out. He's had no time to show what kind of quarterback he actually can be. Even the weapons he has. I like Devontae Parker. He's a good, good receiver when healthy. Will Fuller, a solid deep threat when healthy. Jalen Waddell, as we know, has had a nice rookie season so far. Mike Kosicki is a nice weapon at tight end, but there's not a ton of weapons for two to throw the ball to. So you add it all up. I mean, this is, this is really an unfair shake for two. So that's why, honestly, I feel confident wherever he goes next, whichever team makes a trade for him, I think we'll do the right thing by him. Well, actually, one, first of all, give him time. Like, like the, the, the ripcord that was pulled on Tua to me this early is absurd. Played half the year last year, still trying to work his way back from injury, still trying to kind of adjust the NFL game. You can't even really count what happened in 2020. I wouldn't, at least. 2022, uh, 2021, he's played two games. Played the Patriots game, he played the Jaguars game. How are you ready that quickly? After a guy, let's not forget, the Dolphins tanked 2019 for tank for two. And not even two years later, you're ready to, to move on. I get Deshaun Watson's a very good quarterback. I get that. But I think it, it's r- ludicrous, ridiculous, that the, that the Dolphins this early on into his career are already ready to jump ship. I believe in Tua. I think if he goes to a team that allows him to learn, gives him time to develop, gives him an offense that's competent, he doesn't have 10 voices in his ear, and constantly changing offense coordinators, I think he will be a really successful and legitimate franchise quarterback. Because let's not forget, this guy doesn't suck. Is he injury prone? Yeah. I give him that moniker. I think it's, you know, you got to hold your breath a little bit when it comes to any time he gets hit. Similar to the way myself and other Colts fans hold their breath anytime Carson Wentz gets hit. But Tua Tungvaloa is a good quarterback. He has talent. He's a third, if you want to go back to even high school, he was a third ranked quarterback in the 2017 class. Four star recruit, goes to Alabama, as we know, comes off the bench at halftime of the national title game, wins the game for Alabama. The next two years, he was there. They didn't win another national title, but he was the most dynamic quarterback Alabama really has ever had. You go to the list before him. Blake Sims, Jacob Jacob Coker, Greg McElroy, John Parker Wilson. Like, no offense to those guys. There's not a lot of game-changing, playmaking quarterbacks. A lot of those guys are system quarterbacks. Two was really the, the first quarterback in Alabama's long history, at least of, Al, uh, of Nick Saban being there, I should say, at least, where the offense was a threat. The offense was the one leading the way, not the defense and not the run game. That was in large part because of the way Tua Tungavailoa could sling the ball with his left arm, the way he was throwing guys open, the way he was able to, to read defenses, move around in the pocket, make plays. He basically helped transform the Alabama offense during his time there. Even Jalen Hurts. When Jalen Hurts was a starter for, for two years, Jalen Hurts was a guy that, again, was asked basically not to lose them the game. He's athletic, he's dynamic, he ran the ball a ton, but there weren't a lot of reads he was making. There wasn't a lot of throws he had to make with his arm. That changed with two, where they were a pass-first team and had a heavy 
and set run pass balance. So there's still a ton of talent there, the two has. There's a reason why the Dolphins all of 2019 were saying tank for two, a tank for two, a tank for two. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't because this guy was just an okay quarterback. This is a talented, very talented guy. That if you put him in the right situation, I think we'll flourish. If you give him time, unlike Miami, I think we'll flourish. So I'm still very high on Tua. Dolphins pull ball for trade for Deshaun Watson. I think whoever trades for Tua Tongvalo is getting a, a true diamond in the rough. So I'm curious your thoughts, whether it's on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show, on Twitter as well. What's your belief level in Tua? Can he become a franchise quarterback in the NFL? Do you want your team? If you're in need of a quarterback, if you're the Washington football team, would you want Tua Tongvaloa? My answer absolutely to that is yes. Drop the pipe dream of maybe getting Aaron Rodgers or getting Russell Wilson. Getting a young, talented quarterback like Tua Tungvaloa to me would be a tremendous move for the football team. That's just me. I'm still very high on Tua. What's your belief? Again, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. I'll get your Tua thoughts. And when we return, a Thursday NFL tradition. Hickey's Hickey's. My guy, Rob Young, smart guy, accountant, numbers man, who works some magic here at the numbers. Five games, five spreads. The last two contestants, Joe Pidel, Greg Asserta, both go four and one. Can Rob continue the trend of the hot celebrity contestant picker? And can he revenge last year, which did not go well for Rob? A tough 2020 Hickey's Pickies. One in four record. Can he turn that around this year? He'll get his games and picks next. You're listening to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the back Ryan Hickey Show. Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is a Thursday in the NFL season, so it is time for Hickey's Pickies. A lot of numbers, a lot of spreads, a lot of covers, overs, unders. So let's go to a numbers, man. Our next guest pick, our very excited, a gentleman who has been on the show once or twice. 2020 or Apocalypse did very well. Hickey's Pickies in 2020, one in four. But to revenge that... To flip those numbers around, we welcome in Rob Young, a KPMG accountant, a smart man himself, the commissioner of my fantasy league. Rob, what's up, stud? Hickey, if I need to like go to a client, I want to have you introduce me. Really, Let's go. Really appreciate that. Great to be back. Like you said, third time. It's been a long time. It's been a full year. I've had to deal with the loss of last year's Hickey Pickies. Did not do well. But like you said, numbers guy. I'm back. I'm ready to roll. And, you know, I plan to do better this time around. I love the confidence. I love the enthusiasm. Actually, look, to your point, actually a year to the date you're on. I looked last year, the standings. You're on week seven in the NFL season. Here we are, week seven. So let's take that one and four and let's turn it around. How about that? I'm a week seven guy. You know, week. 2022, if you want me back on, I got to be back on week seven. We keep rolling. That's true. The stars are aligned. We did not even plan this until I checked this morning. Just love, love that. I think it's a good omen for today's picks for sure. Now, before we get going, not to psyche out here, but you are numbers, guys, so I want to give you the facts here. 
a guy we know very well, Joe Pidel, two weeks ago. I mean, I worked with Greg Caserta last, uh, last week. Both those gentlemen, four and one the past two weeks. Now, to make you feel better, I've gone like one and four and two and three. My picks have been down the toilet as usual. But we have had some successful picks so far. Four and one, four and one. You ready to keep that trend going for a third week in a row? I'm ready to go. And, you know, the bar is set high. I'm going to take over that bar. I'm going to set it a little higher. Woo. We're going to go 5-0 now. You just inspired me. I was looking to hopefully break 500. But no, no, no. The bar is set high. Let's roll, Hank. 5-0 or bust. Let's go. We'll go to the college game first. Not a, actually, really not a great site, to be honest, in either college or the NFL. But we will get into it here. Oregon, Pac-12 special, Oregon at UCLA. Both teams come in or start the season with some promise. Both have kind of flailed out a, a little bit here. Oregon on the road, getting two points at UCLA. Not sure if this will determine your pick or not, but college game day will be at UCLA. Nice and early, 6 a.m. local start there on Saturday morning. You going with the Ducks? Going with the Bruins? So full disclosure, Hickey. May I call you Hickey? Do you go by Ryan? Of course, no, no, no. Hickey is, is fine. That's... Good. Most people, if you said Ryan, I don't think most people even know who you're talking about <laughs> at this point. Another, uh, another guest. Exactly. <laughs> Is there a third guy in the line? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I have to tell you, Hickey, I'm a man of integrity. In my line of work, it's all about honesty, transparency. And you have a lot of loyal listeners. And I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to steer them in the wrong direction. So truth be told, I know nothing about college football. That's just the way it is. So I want to take a different approach to my picks of this game and this week because we do have two. And when I saw you send me two college games, because I know it's a big bye week in the NFL, I was like, all right, how am I going to make these picks? If you want the true analysis, listen to Hickey's picks. I'm sure he has great analysis. But here's mine. Oregon, Ducks, UCLA, Bruins. Who would win in a fight? Okay. Or a Bruin. Now, for those that don't know, a Bruin is a bear, actually a bear in children's fables, but nonetheless, it is a bear. Who would win in a fight? I think the bear would slaughter the duck. Based on that logic, I'm going to take UCLA Bruins minus two, lock it in. First of all, as I've seen now doing the second year of the picks, what I've noticed is the less you know, the better. Lauren, my girlfriend Lauren was 5-0 last year. She didn't even know half the team. She didn't know Louisville football even existed. She knew Lamar Jackson. She had no clue that he was a Louisville guy. She went 5-0. So I think, first of all, your logic is spot on. I think the less you know, the better, really, not the more you know. Especially if you see my picks this year, being how bad they are. You Trust me, the more you know is not always the way to go. But we are in agreement, Bob. I kind of hate to say that because you probably want to be on the opposite of me, all five picks. But I love it. UCLA at home, they're a better team. They're a more physical team. Oregon's been banged up with some injuries. They've been kind of trending down the wrong way. I was watching... This is how this shows you where my life is. Last Friday night, wild Friday night, 1 a.m. Here I am sitting up watching a Cal Oregon game where Cal almost, a brutal Pac 12 team, almost pulled off the upset on the road in Eugene. I'm with you. UCLA is, the, is a physical team, a better team. A bear would absolutely slaughter a duck in a fight. So let's do it. Now, this is, I mean, if we're going to go for animal fights, who would win? This might be the toughest game to pick, maybe in history. The Clemson Tigers. Brutal year this year. They're going on the road. They're getting three points at the Pitt Panthers. So we have a cat-on-cat crime here. Two jungle cats going at it. Tigers, Panthers. Pitt is a three-point favorite. Who wins in this death fight here? So once again, I big Google search on the feline family. I learned a lot about big cats in this matchup, you know, looking up so, you know, how I want to describe who I think is going to win. 
Panthers, I didn't really realize what a Panther was. So for those that don't know, you know, you come on here, you want some insight on sports, you're also going to get some more facts. That's right. So a Panther is a variant of a Jaguar, a Cougar, or a Leopard family. Me and Hickey, we are former Cougars. Tiger is also feline family, but, you know, it is sort of the, the king of the jungle a little bit. But I want to dig deeper, understand a little bit about the different types of animals. What do they eat? How The size. Panthers eat deer, raccoons, and armadillos. Where tigers eat deer and wild boar, a lot more protein than mm-hmm. in the wild boar. You know, raccoon and armadillos, kind of weak. It's kind of embarrassing if you're out in the jungle and you're eating raccoons and armadillos. Not good. What? When did they start mating? Tigers mate at the age of five. Panthers mate at the age of two. Earlier in the cycle, you know, I think that's I think that's a point for the panthers. They're Interesting. Yeah, maturity. In their lives, longer period of time. Correct. Good for them. Congrats. For them, <laughs> and finally their size, right? Panthers are a little are smaller, but they're sleeker. They're quicker. They're twenty nine to ninety. I got kilo, kilograms. I have to be honest. Tall. Whatever that conversion is, I have no clue. Yeah, <laughs> probably should have found out. You know the 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 metric, you know, of pounds. But anyways, tiger is about three times the size, but a foot taller. So what are we looking at in a fight here? I think the facts are laid out pretty clear that Tigers would probably beat the Panthers in a fight. So based on that logic, it is obviously that Clemson is going to beat Pittsburgh. Wow. I love that. Now, I'm glad you even forget just like a general, oh, yeah, Panther, Tiger. I'm just going to think the Tiger would win. Going with the the mating cycle, their diet. To your point also, armadillos, I mean, their their big uh, area defense is rolling up into a ball. I mean, me and you are not nature (laughs) guys by any stretch of the imagination. We could easily hunt and eat armadillos if we wanted to. So you're right. Point reduced there for, for Pitt. I will say, I'll take the Panthers here. Smaller, sleeker, maybe a David versus Goliath out there in the jungle, I will say. But thankfully, at least for Pitt, this game is not fought in the jungle. This game is fought on the football field, and Clemson's offense stinks. It is awful. They have the, the more talent, right? I think your analogy is actually perfect because Clemson coming in has more talent. They're the bigger team. They are the more physical team. They are star-wide, like the more talented team. Just like the Tiger would probably beat the Panther in the jungle, more times than not, the Clemson Tigers should be the put Panthers on the football field than they have. With that said, though, David versus Goliath here. Not every time does the better, faster, stronger animal win in the nature. Not every time does the bigger, faster, stronger team win in college football. I'll take Pitt here. Kind of, I want to say an upset because it feels so weird to pick against Clemson and say that's how it is. That's how, how wonky, that's how bad the Tigers have fallen this year. I will take the Pitt Panthers laying three points at home because their offense has been high flying and Clemson's has been just a total, total dumpster fire. So UCLA, we're both on the Bruins minus two at home in college football. You're on Clemson plus three, the Tigers taking down the Panthers in the jungle and on the football field. I will take Pitt minus three. We roll now to the NFL. Now I'm not sure if this logic is going to, going to say the same, but we do have a nice battle here. Chiefs at Titans. If you're going to go for, you know, the off the field battle here, battle mascots. Chiefs are on the road, but are getting or giving, I should say, five and a half points. So five and a half point favorites on the road at Tennessee coming off that big Monday night win over the Bills. Bob, Chiefs or Bills here? All right. So luckily, NFL is more my more my lane, right? So we're not gonna I, I we're not gonna go mascot we, battles here. No, no. Okay. Now we can go to, to the actual a little bit of analysis, which means I'm gonna get all of these wrong. So in my opinion, right, Vegas loves the Chiefs. And how could you not, right? You have Patrick Mahomes, you have this high-flying offense, which I might say is a little banged up now. Mm-hmm. But you have this putrid, putrid, putrid defense. 
Um, and if you look at the first six weeks, right, the Chiefs have beaten bad teams and they lost to good teams. The Titans, in my opinion, is a good team. They're four and two, the Titans, Chiefs three and three, but the Titans two losses, right? They lost to the undefeated Cardinals and they lost to the Jets, which you actually felt like was a trap game because they didn't have Julio, they didn't have AJ Brown. So you had to fit the Jets in a weird way at home for the Jets were going to win that game, which they did. The Titans just came off a great, great, great win this past week. And I think that the Titans cover and they have a chance at beating the Chiefs. I don't think that I don't think the Chiefs defense can can sustain it. It's going to be a close game. It is. It might be a field goal game. Um, Derrick Henry is an absolute monster. I think he's going to run it through that Chiefs defense. Um, who AJ Brown is is healthier again? Julio, we don't know if he's going to play, so it's going to be tight there. But I think the Titans do cover. You're going with the Titans plus five and a half at home. This is probably I, I feel like I'm a sucker for this. Uh, I, I am going to go with the Chiefs here. I, I am. The thing that I, the thing that drives me going to Kansas City is this: Derrick Henry is unstoppable, right? This guy, we just saw it on Monday night for everyone to see. This guy, it's impossible to tackle no matter how big you are, how fast you are. He'll outrun you and he'll run you over. The only, there's two ways to stop Derrick Henry. Number one, ball control, right? You run the ball yourself, you, you dominate the clock, and you basically keep Derrick Henry on the sidelines. We know the Chiefs are not that team, right? They're high-flying, they're explosive. They'll score in 30 seconds if they have to easily. The other way to kind of slow down Derrick Henry, kind of take him out of the game, is to get up early and force the Titans to throw, throw, and throw. You're talking about, and you are 100% right, the Chiefs defense is one of the worst, maybe the worst defense in the NFL. It is god-awful. And Derrick Henry is kind of a field day. With that said, though, I think the only way you stop them is by scoring and scoring early. I think the Chiefs can do that because you look at the other side, the Titans defense is awful. They, they had uh, defensive backs on Monday night dropping left and right. I think that's huge for the Chiefs coming to this game. I think they'll be able to throw it and throw it early. I know Patrick Holmes had some turnover issues. I think that will clean up. The, the pass rush for Tennessee is non-existent. I think the, uh, the Chiefs can have their way with the, with the Titans defense. Get up early, 14-3, 17-7. Force the Titans to throw the ball. I don't trust Ryan Tannehill if he has to throw the ball. 30, 35, 40 times a game to come back. I don't think he'll be able to get it done. I And what feels like sort of a sucker bet, to be honest here, will take the Chiefs minus five and a half on the road at Tennessee. And I, because I, that was my one thought, right, that if the, if the Chiefs go up early and they can put up a lot of points, then like you said, Titans will have to throw. But the Titans just put up 34. They did. On Monday night, right? They did keep up with the Bills. And I don't see why they can't do that against the Chiefs with that a much worse defense, right? Um, I think how the game starts is really going to determine, like you said, you know, if Chiefs get up early, they're going to have to throw the ball and it's going to keep the ball out of Derrick Henry's hands. But if Titans go up, they slow down the game, they get Patrick Mahomes out of a rhythm, then the Titans can easily start running away with this game. Yes, I'm with you. The first quarter probably should determine it, right? Absolutely. I am with you there. So you're taking the Titans. I will take the Chiefs. How about another, or an AFC North battle, I should say, Bengals at Ravens. A nice surprise season so far for Cincinnati. They're getting six and a half points on the road at Baltimore. We know the Bengals win in a fight in the jungle against Ravens, but can they win on the field? Six and a half. They're going on the road. The Bengals are 4-2 this year, right? The two mm-hmm. games they lost were by a field goal. They're a very good team and a much improved defense as well. Joe Burrow looks great. And don't get me started about that combination of him to, <laughs> him to Jamar Chase. It is, it is LSU days here in the NFL. Ravens have been hot. 
right? They dropped the week one, but then they won five in a row, including the, that unbelievable game on, on Monday night two weeks ago. Um, but the Ravens are good. Bengals are good. I honestly think this is going to be probably the best matchup of the week. I'm really looking forward to this game. Um, I'm going to take the Bengals here. And, Icky, I'm going to double dip. This is also my upset special. Oh! <laughs> you need, like, some horns or something. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> You're Joe right. We got to get that. Joe Burrow, unbelievably handsome guy. Stud, yes. he's a winner. I think they absolutely cover these. Also, if you think about the history of these AFC North battles, you know, four really good teams this year. Um, it's always a tight game. I feel like every time these teams play each other, it's like a 24-21, you know, 20-24 game. It, they're tight. They're within a field goal, maybe four points. And I don't see how this, how this game will be you know, more than a touchdown, right? We have the spread here at six and a half. So mm-hmm. I'm going to take the Bengals. And I think they have a really good chance of slowing down the Ravens and putting up a good fight and taking this game outright. I am with you. I'm going the Bengals here as well. Like I said, a large spread. I think it's going to be a very close game. Let's not forget, too, the Ravens defense. They played really well against the Chargers last week. But really up before that, whether it was the Colts game, whether it was the Raiders game to start the season, that defense has been leaky. You've been able to get some points and, and a ton of yards. And as we know, like you mentioned, that Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase connection has been deadly. T. Higgins has been, has been playing well as well. That Bengals offense can move the ball up and down the field. They've been doing a pretty good job, at least keeping Joe Burrow upright for the most part. So I really think the Bengals will be able to score on the Ravens, get some points on the board. You can't really stop Lamar. You only can hope to contain at this point. I think the, the Bengals defense will do just enough to keep it close. Six and a half points, even though they're on the road, I'm with you. I will take the Bengals, keep this one close. I'll take the Ravens to win outright, but I do think, right, Bengals keep within a one score, very close, 24-21, 27-24 kind of game, AFC North battle. But the Bengals do cover, and thus, hopefully, get us both a W there. So we're both on the Bengals plus six and a half. The final game in the slate, Colts plus four on the road at the 49ers, Sunday Night Football. It looks and appears like Jimmy Garoppolo will be the starter for San Francisco. Bob, what are we thinking here? This is a very, and I hate to speak poorly about your beloved Indianapolis Ooh, Colts. Let's hear it. This is a pretty poor Sunday night football game, given this is a huge bye week, right? Fair. They call it the, the, the bipocalypse, I hear, which is actually, uh, ironically, Ooh, you know, your like 2020 that. versus apocalypse. Um, but that's what it is, right? There's six teams on bye this week. You know, you have huge name teams. You have the Cowboys, you have the Vikings, you have the Bulls, you have the Steelers. You have all these big, high-powered offense, right? teams that are not playing this week and unfortunately we kind of have Colts 49ers right Carson Wentz Jimmy Garoppolo that's not sexy at all Jimmy G sexy guy matchup not sexy so <laughs> I will say I do not like the Colts this year at all and and I I'm sorry to say that to you but that's okay I, I don't think they are a good team um I think they have they have a pretty solid defense you have T.Y. Hilton coming back he's a little He's a little banged up. You know, we'll see if he's going to play. I think that was a, a big, you know, he looked good. But he plays good against the Texans, right? And unfortunately, that's they don't play that's his team. You're right. Every every game, unfortunately, they don't play him. Um, I think if the Colts use Michael Pittman more, I, I think he's an unbelievably talented player. I think they just need to run him across the field, hit him in stride, and let him just break it loose. Um, and obviously, you have Jonathan Taylor, too. Great back. He's been looking good as well. But I think the 49ers take this. I think... I think Kyle Shanahan is, is, is a great head coach, and he knows how to get the most out of what his, what he puts on the field, right? Whether it's Trey Lance, Jimmy G, he he designs the playbook around those guys, and, and I think they're just going to outcoach the Colts. And I'm taking the 49ers here, minus four. 
Taking the 49ers. Now, I really, in these picks, try not to be biased. I really try to put my fandom aside here and just objectively pick these games. I objectively do think the Colts are going to go in here and forget cover. I think they can legitimately win this game. For, like, let's not, for, or let's just look at, at what facts are. Carson Wentz has played, I don't want to say really well, pretty well this year so far. Just one interception, nine touchdowns, and it's quiet. So, uh, the Colts, the last three games they played, the Dolphins, the Ravens, and the Texans. The one game they lost was the Ravens. They blew a 22-3. to Everyone wants to talk about that. Lamar is great. I get it. So, and the two wins are the Dolphins and uh, the Texans, two of the worst teams in the AFC. So it's not exactly like they're building momentum. You could see it. Quinton Nelson does return, or it looks like he's on track, I should say, to return this week for the Colts. That's a big boost to the offensive line. Finally, it seems like they're going to actually use Jonathan Taylor. I've been furious with Frank Reich about just not running him more. This should be a run-first team, and at least hopefully last week with his outburst, that kind of reminds Frank Reich what he has. And, oh, yeah, Jonathan Taylor's pretty damn good. I like the Colts a lot. Carson Wentz is playing some good football, not turning it over. The 49ers have some secondary issues. Jimmy G is not a guy that I think will light up the Colts. Um... You know, the Colts have their own uh, secondary issues as well. I don't think he'll be one to line him up for 300-400 yards like Lamar Jackson did a few weeks ago. I'm taking the Colts. Forget just covering. I think they'll outright win this game and kind of remind everyone that, yeah, you know what? On paper, maybe the game wasn't great, or but it'll be a, a good, clean matchup. Maybe, hopefully, in my mind at least, people start looking at the Colts a little differently, maybe taking them as real contenders here. So, homer or not, I do object to think the Colts will go in and win in San Francisco on Sunday night. But also, I will take them here plus four. So, you're on the 49ers minus four. I'm on the Colts. We're both on the Bengals plus six and a half. You're on the Titans plus five and a half. I'm on the Chiefs minus five and a half. You're on Clemson plus three at Pitt. I will take the Pitt Panthers. We're both on UCLA minus two at home. Now, you already gave your upset special. You're double dipping, which I love. That shows the confidence you have in one of the games we picked. That is the Bengals plus six and a half on the road at the Ravens. My upset special, I'll go back to college football here. Oklahoma State coming off a nice win over Texas on the road. Back on the road this week at Iowa State. Iowa State's been very disappointing. I thought this was a college football playoff team this year. They have really kind of folded and have struggled so far. But Oklahoma State getting seven points on the road. Oklahoma State undefeated. Great defense. Plus seven on the road. I will take that. Maybe this is a sucker bet. I'm an idiot, but I will take the Cowboys. Plus seven at Iowa State. Bob, the numbers man. I know you got a lot of numbers to crunch today. So thank you so much for coming on. Give us a few minutes here. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. I appreciate the invite. Always a great time to come on the show. Invite me back whenever. Love to come back on. And uh, it's great talking to you, Hick. Of course. And the best part is now we don't even need John for picks. We can just talk about animal. You know, the next animal news will break down if there's another king of the jungle debate or Maybe like a man versus animal uh, fight we got to break down. We know who to call. The expert himself. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, Bobby, we appreciate the time, man. Talk to you soon, all right? Sounds good. Be well, Hick. You Take as care. well. The great Rob Young. The numbers man himself. Confident in the picks. Love the analysis. This is why we bring guys like Rob on. You don't listen to me. We listen to the ones, the smart ones who come on the show. Numbers guy, but also animal expert. Panthers versus, where is you going to get a Panthers versus Tigers breakdown of their genial history, of their diet, of their size? This is a man who goes far, far beyond the numbers to give you the best analysis possible. So we appreciate Rob for coming on. We wish him best of luck. The last two guest pickers have gone 4-1. and one. We'll see if Rob can continue that or set the bar even higher, like he said, and go 5-0. and It'll be a lot of fun this weekend to see how the games go out. But when we do return here for our number two, the Ryan Hickey Show. We're a third of the way through the NFL season. 
I think it's a good enough sample size to determine and start to figure out who teams are. So through six weeks, who has been the most impressive team in the NFL? And who's been the biggest disappointment? Tell you my thoughts when the Ryan Key Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty except for one and welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show with the world's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We appreciate Rob Young for hopping on, giving us his, not only his picks, his animal breakdowns and a few fights in the jungle. Who would win? Panthers, Tigers, Bruins, Ducks. He gave it to us all. So we appreciate Rob's insight there uh, on his picks. We'll post that on social media very shortly after the show as well. But hour number two, as always, is sponsored by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. So check out lcdesignsnyc.com, lcdesignsnyc.com for a way more info than I just gave you. So the NFL season is the third way through, right? We just started or about to start week number seven in the NFL tonight with Broncos and uh, Browns. We'll get to that game a little later on the show. But I think so far, right, a third of the way through the season, I think is enough of a sample size, a big enough gathering of information that we could start to see which teams are legit, which teams aren't. Who's starting to round into form and who can be Super Bowl contenders and who, you know, maybe already start looking at, at college football and who the next quarterback could be and start looking at the 2022 draft uh, rankings or standings. So the third way through the season, I'm curious your thoughts here. Who has been the most impressive team in the NFL so far? On the flip side, who's been the biggest disappointment? Comment Facebook Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSR, Ren underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll start with most impressive. We'll start with the positive first for me. Through six games, the most impressive team in the NFL has been the Dallas Cowboys. Like, I'm really shocked to say this, and this is part of the reason why I think they're the most impressive. They are legit. This team is actually a good team. Like, what they've done on both sides of the ball, not just offensively, but also defensively, it's remarkable. I'm legitimately surprised and shocked they have been as good as so far that they have played. They're 5-1 and one on the season, and offensively, they're one of the best offenses in all the NFL. And I'll be honest, hand up, I have my own doubts. I did not pick the Dallas Cowboys to win the NFC East. I thought that would be the Washington football team. Part of that was the classic Cowboys hype where I didn't believe it until I'd see it. Part of that was I had questions, not just defensively, but offensively, Dak Prescott. I was not a guy that thought Dak was in the elite category coming into this year. Was not a guy that exactly was anti-paying Dak, but it was just one of those things where could you do better? Yes, you could do also way worse. And I think the Cowboys were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place where they weren't going to move on from Dak, um, but also at the same time they're going to get held over a barrel to give him as much money as possible. But you look at Dak coming off the awful ankle injury last year, right? The cost in the last eleven games of the season. Then you look, he had a shoulder issue that we saw on hard knocks he was doing with for basically the entirety of the preseason, right? Where he wasn't throwing, then his throws were getting ramped up. We weren't sure how, you know, if he was going to be on a pitch count or not, how strong his arm was going to look coming into the year. A lot of injury concerns with his ankle and with his shoulder. And he has given you no reason to doubt so far this year. He's playing the best football of his career, without a doubt. Through six games, he is playing the best football of his career. 
And I honestly think at this point, he has placed himself into the elite category of quarterbacks. When you're talking about elite quarterbacks in the NFL this year, Dak is absolutely one of those guys you have to put in that category with Mahomes and with Brady and with Rodgers, with Wilson. He has played phenomenal. Right? He's fifth in the NFL in passing yards so far. He has 16 touchdowns, just four interceptions. And he is, you know, not only getting a lot of these yards and touchdowns, he's also doing it in the clutchest moments. Right? Last year, the thing with Dak, while he was putting up record-breaking numbers, a lot of those numbers were, I thought, compiled. Because the Cowboys are down 31-14 in the third quarter. They're down 30-7. to And all of a sudden, yeah, when you're throwing the ball off your play, then to come back and defenses are kind of playing prevent defense, you're going to accumulate a lot of yards. You're going to accumulate a lot of touchdowns. So for me, a lot of the stats last year and the small amount of games Dak played felt hollow. They felt like they were, you know, uh, compiler stats. This year, though, it's not the case. He is winning games with his arm. He is throwing game, you know, touchdowns that mean something. He's not coming back. He's putting them ahead or tying the game. He's been very clutch this season. I've been impressed. Ezekiel is another guy that, honestly, I was ready to write off. That was a guy that, out of shape, looking slow, ball security issues. He has lost weight. He looks slender. He's running hard. He's running with a purpose. He looks motivated. Zeke has had a very nice bounce back here. Him and Tony Pollard have been a tremendous one-two punches here for Dallas. So offensively, they are humming. Dak is playing the best football of his career. The running game is really back. They have tremendous balance, both run and pass. The offense has been great. And defensively, they are much, much improved. And I'll be honest, I have my own doubts. Because really, the only thing they changed was defensive coordinators. They brought in Dan Quinn. They got rid of Mike Nolan. But a lot, for the most part, of the pieces there last year are there this year. A big, though, change, and a guy that's brought a lot of energy, a lot of juice uh, to this defense, has been Micah Parsons. He has been a tremendous fit for the Cowboys this year. Whether it's off the edge, whether it's a linebacker, he's great in space. He's getting, he's tackling, he's a tackling machine. He's getting after the quarterback. He's covering well. He's been everywhere. He has really been a tremendous Swiss Army knife for this Cowboys defense. Trayvon Diggs, I mean, look, there's no other way to call him uh, or describe him in his play this year than a ball hawk. Seven interceptions, two touchdowns. Sure, you know, the secondary at times has, has been a liability, and they've gotten torched, but Trayvon Diggs is making plays. And defensively, when you have an offense that is as potent and as lethal as the Cowboys' offense is, you just need your defense to not be the 85 Bears, not be one of the best defenses in the league, not even be average. Frankly, just be mediocre. Right? They were one of the worst, not the worst defense, uh, defense in the NFL last year. All you need to do this year is basically have them don't repeat that. And so far, they haven't. They've improved their points per game allowed by five points this year. So they're five points better this year compared to last year. Their run defense is exponentially better. And again, they're making enough plays to give the offense a shot. They shut down Justin Herbert enough. They did enough with Mac Jones to keep him under consideration or keep him under control, I should say, to not allow the Patriots offense to win the game there. They made the plays when they had to at overtime late in the game. The defense is much improved, and they are frankly just, just below average is all you have to be to give this offense a real shot of success. So for me, the Cowboys, for what they've done offensively, what they've done defensively, even some of the teams they've beaten, and the way they've beaten them, have been the most impressive team in the NFL for me this season. Others in consideration, the Cardinals. Look, 6-0, and the only undefeated team left. They have been tremendous this year. I will say, not that I saw this coming, the 6-0 start and how dominant they've been, especially with wins over the Rams and the Browns, 
But it's I wouldn't say it's a total shot because let's not forget, 2020, they got off to a great start as well. They had the number one offense in the NFL through nine games. They were 6-3, and three, had a nice one on the Seahawks. Like, it wasn't outlandish. It's not crazy to think that the Cardinals would have to a hot start. For Cliff Kingsbury, it's always been the second half of the season that's been his downfall. The first half, he never really has a hard time getting off to a good start. You have Kyler Murray. You have DeAndre Hopkins. They added James Conner. They added A.J. Green. They added J.J. Watt. Like they, are, they are deep offensively and defensively. So the Cardinals were supposed to be one of the best teams in the NFL this year. So I wouldn't say it's a total shock or, to me, it's the most impressive that they are 6-0 so far. The Ravens have also been impressive. Right? More for how they've been able to overcome injuries than, let's say, that their 5-1 start is. Right? They, after losing week one, they've now ripped off five wins in a row. Chiefs, latest one over the Charters, which is very impressive. Nice comeback win of the Colts. Lamar Jackson has been absolutely phenomenal. And the fact that he's really been able to carry and shoulder the load with all injuries to the running backs, to the secondary, to the offensive line. Unfortunately, Ronnie Stanley now, their great left tackles out for the year. That's another big loss for this Ravens team. But they have been tremendous. But we know that's who Lamar Jackson is. I would say they're more impressive, not that their record, but because of they've been able to do so with injuries, I still put the Dallas Cowboys ahead of them. So for me, I put... The Cowboys, as the most impressive teams, I thought this was going to be another year where we hype them up, hype them up, hype them up. Dak has injury concerns. The defense was so bad last year that I didn't really <coughs> excuse me, expect much on the Cowboys in 2021. Five and one, looking like, forget, you know, favorites win the NFC East. They are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. This is legit. And that's why, for me, the Cowboys are the most impressive team in the NFL. Do you agree? Had the Dallas Cowboys in your mind been the most impressive team in the NFL. Comment on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. You can comment on Twitter at Ryan Hickey Show. At WWSRN underscore radio is our show account, Twitter handle as well. On the flip side here, right? Let's go from positive to negative. We talked about this team before. But the me, for me, the most disappointing team in the NFL this year has been the Miami Dolphins. I don't know about you, but coming off of the 10-6 and six year last year, the way Brian Flores was able to maneuver between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua Tagovailoa, and then back to Fitz and starting Tua again, it was incredible and impressive. They were able to win 10 games last year. And now going to year number two of Tua, with him being the primary starter, you get Jalen Waddle, you acquire Will Fuller. I thought this team, the defense is going to stand pat, and I really thought this team was going to improve and make the playoffs. I picked the Dolphins to make the playoffs this year. And frankly, one in five, everything has gone off the rails so far for Miami. Offensively, they just stink. Dolphins flat out stink on offense. Now, a lot of that has been because two has not been there, right? He, again, he got hurt the second series of the second game against the Bills. And just came back last week against the Jaguars. So out of six games, he's really only played two games. But the offensive line has really struggled to protect the quarterback, whether it's Tua back there, whether it's Jacoby Brissett. Ton of sacks being allowed. Right? The, the Dolphins have put a lot of resources. They've put a lot of draft capital into their offensive line. The offensive line is very young. A lot of that has been guys they drafted last year and the year before that. But even though they put a lot of energy and time and money into the offensive line, they're still not doing the job. They've allowed 16 sacks so far through two games. Almost three sacks a game. That's pretty bad. That is pretty bad. The run game is the worst in the NFL. They're averaging just 71 and a half yards per game. I don't know how. The Steelers' run game didn't even look non, you know, look non-existent. Steelers looked like they were basically going to totally abandon the run at one point. 
And some of the Dolphins have been able to be even worse than the Steelers. So the offense line has been and very porous. The run game is non-existent. That's surprising that the offense has been as bad as it is. But I would say even more surprising, more disappointing, has been their defense. This was the calling card of Brian Flores, right? Defensive-minded guy, came into Miami. Not a ton of big names on the defense, but this is a defense that played hard, that played sound, that caused a lot of confusion, caused a lot of turnovers. And it said this year, they have absolutely gotten torched. Torched. They are, they are third worst in total defense. They're allowing 417 yards per game. 417 yards per game. The Dolphins, a defensive-minded team, third worst in total defense. Despite, you know, in free agency giving Byron Jones uh, a big contract two years ago, they had that little spout with Xavier Howard in the offseason, but they were able to come, to come to grips and they agreed to a deal. So you paid Xavier Howard. You paid Byron Jones. They've spent, you know, picks in the draft, high picks for defensive backs. So despite putting time and assets and money into the secondary, they have been putrid. Allowing the fourth most passing yards. And their 28th and points per game allowed at 29 and a half, just basically shy of 30 points per game. The Dolphins have been, to me, very disappointing because I did not see this defense collapse coming. And offensively, I thought they were going to be much improved from last year to this year because you had con- well, sort of continuity, although the offense coordinator has been a, a total mess. But you have Tua coming back, knowing the playbook for the most part. The weapons were an upgrade, although not great. An upgrade, again, the offense line is young, but you think another year of experience would hopefully have them gel a little bit quicker than they have. For me, the, I thought the Dolphins are truly a playoff team. They were sound fundamental last year, and they have just flat out crumbled this year. To me, they're the most disappointing team in the NFL. A few other candidates here that I was considering, but put the Dolphins ahead of the Chiefs. Now, the Chiefs have been a flat out disappointing. No other way to hide it. They're 3-3 three and three in the season. Never would have predicted that. My, honestly, if you had to say what was the worst record so far for the Chiefs you pick, I'd say maybe 5-1. and one. Like, That's how well I thought they would be above everyone else. But instead, so far, they have been a big, a big disappointment. Not exactly a shock the defense has struggled, right? That's kind of who Kansas City has been. They've been all offense and just had the defense make one play, make a play in order for them to win the game, and they have really been able to make no plays at all. But Patrick Holmes, you know, he has turnover issues. I think that's just more of a phase and a concern. And to call for what it is, too, the Chiefs are 3-3. Three and three. I know they're the best team in the AFC, one of the best teams in the NFL, but it's not exactly they have bad losses. Like, their three losses are... On the road at the Ravens, home against the Chargers, home against the Bills, three of the best teams in the AFC. So it's not like they're losing to the Jets and they're losing to the Dolphins and it's like, oh my God, let's wave the white flag. This team stinks. Again, I think they're better than the Chargers. I think they're frankly better than the Bills and better than the Ravens on paper when everything's going well, but it's not exactly the three worst losses that are really going to have you be concerned. They're good teams. That's the NFL. So for me, I'm not exactly that concerned with the Chiefs so far, although they've been disappointing at 3-3. Three and three. I'm not exactly waving the white flag in their season like I am the Dolphins. The Browns, they're also 3-3. Three and three, But for me, the biggest disappointment with them has more to do with injuries. Like, it stinks. But it's not exactly they've been losing games because of bad play. Like, they, they lost to the Chiefs. They were dominating that game. And you had Patrick Holmes do what Patrick Holmes does, big fourth quarter comeback. They played an epic, instant classic game in L.A. against the Chargers. Again, two of the best teams in the AFC. They fell just short. Justin Herbert was unconscious in that game. Baker just couldn't play, make one play at the end to win the game. And then last week, you, you played the, the best team in the NFL in the Cardinals. I think they were undone by injuries. 
You weren't playing with either of your tackles. Kareem Hunt got hurt late in the game. You were already without Nick Chubb. OBJ was dealing with a shoulder injury. He was back and forth. Oh, uh, Baker Mayfield himself separated his left shoulder yet again in the game. Like Injuries have really undone the Browns. This team is a really damn good team and healthy. But you look at the injuries and who, who's not on the lineup. I mean, that's the biggest reason why the Browns are 3-3. Three and three. Coming in, expectations were high. So far, again, the 3-3 three three record for me, the biggest thing with them is more injuries than just poor play. The Washington football team is a disappointment. I put the Miami Dolphins ahead of them because my expectations for the Dolphins were higher than the football team. But my goodness, the one area we thought was short up, the one area we thought we can hang our hat on when it comes to the Washington football team in 2021 was defense. Was defense. And instead, they are dead last in the NFL in terms of points per game allowed. 31. 31 points per, uh, per points, easy for me to say, per game allowed. They are 31st in yards per game allowed. And the biggest strength of this team, right, on the defense has been what? Their defensive line, right? It's a lot of great interior defensive linemen. You obviously have Chase Young on the outside getting after the quarterback. You would think, okay, this is a team that could absolutely get after the quarterback with just three or four guys every single play. They have not been able to do that. Just 12 sacks in six games. The defensive line has struggled. The entire defense has been non-existent. Big disappointment so far for the football team with how bad their defense has been. But I still put the Dolphins ahead of them. So for me, when you look at the NFL, biggest disappointment has been the Dolphins. The, the most impressive team in my mind has been the Cowboys. Do you agree? Who in the NFL has been the most impressive team this year? And who's been the biggest disappointment? Love to hear your thoughts, whether it's on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, whether it's on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts. The biggest disappointment, biggest uh, or most impressive team. And we do return. The NBA season is underway. Tuesday night, we saw two of the title favorites in the Nets and the Lakers go down. It's very, very rare we say this. But I think this is the case here. I'll explain to you when we come back here on the Ryan Hickey Show why Las Vegas, the desert, they are very, very wrong about their NBA preseason predictions. I'll tell you why when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the Ryan Hickey Ryan Show. Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else with you? But the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I understand Las Vegas. They are more right than wrong, right? There's a reason why there's tons of high rises in the desert. There's a reason why the gambling industry even exists, right? No one, no sports book would exist if more people won than lost. So I get that they are mostly right. But I think when you look at the NBA preseason predictions, I think they're very wrong. I think they are severely, severely wrong here. And here's why. Las Vegas will have you believe. They want you believing that in the NBA, to win an NBA title, it is the Lakers, it's the Nets, and then everybody else. Right? You look at their odds to win the title. The Nets are the favorite at plus 240. The Lakers are number two right behind them at plus 400. The next closest team. So Nets plus 240. Lakers plus 400. Next closest is the Warriors and Bucks at plus 900. A very sizable gap between the Nets, the Lakers, and everyone else. Well, here's the thing. For me, Vegas is very wrong. 
Because for two reasons. Number one, not only is the gap a lot narrower between the Lakers, the Nets, and everyone else, I think it's a way shorter margin they're leading on. That's number one. Number two, the Lakers, to me, aren't even the favorites, in my mind, to come out of the Western Conference. We look at the West, we look at how the, the Lakers are constructed. To me, I like the Suns better than the Lakers. I like the Jazz better than I like the Lakers. So despite the fact that the Lakers are the Western Conference favorites to come out, to me, I put them third out of the West to come out. And here's why. Two reasons for the Lakers that, that scare me coming into this year. Number one, the Russell Westbrook, uh, Russell Westbrook fit. I don't think it's going to work. His ball-dominant style really isn't conducive to playing with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, right? They are two bona fide scorers and playmakers. So what the Lakers truly need is a facilitator at point guard, is a guy to basically be a quarterback and just pass the ball all around the court and set these guys up for open looks, have them get open lanes to the basket, and basically dish it out to the guy who's open and put them in position to succeed. What they don't need is a ball-dominant, dribble-dribble-dribble kind of guy in Russell Westbrook that more times than not looks for his shots than other shots. So for me, the Lakers needed a point guard facilitator, playmaker. They did not get that in Russell Westbrook. So not to mention, not only, right, for the Lakers at least, what they needed was a facilitator, which Russell Westbrook can pass the ball, but when you have LeBron James taking the ball up, which he does often, right? A little less than before, but he still is not shy to take the ball up and start the offense himself. Well, the thing is, the issue is, Russell Westbrook off ball is not very good. Basically, I don't say a waste on the court, but he's not, that's not his element. He does not play off the ball. He is the ball. He is the offense, right? Whether it's Oklahoma City, whether it's Washington, D.C., whether it's in Houston the one year, he's a guy who needs the ball in his hands more than ever. His usage rate, it's always James Harden one, Russell Westbrook two. They're always the two guys with the ball in their hands the most. But that, as we know, does not happen always because LeBron James is a guy who takes the ball up a ton and also loves to run the offense through him himself because he's a great uh, facilitator. He has great eyes and can uh, is a very willing and excellent passer. So Russell Westbrook off the ball is not the guy who the Lakers need because what do they need? They need shooting. They need a guy who can make a three-point shot. They need a guy who can just take a, a 15-foot jumper. And they need to space the floor. Well, the issue is Russell Westbrook's not the guy who's going to give you that. Teams will be happy to give Russell Westbrook any three-point shot he wants. Teams will be happy to give Russell Westbrook a 15-foot jumper and have him take that every, all day, every day. He's not the shooter that they need. This team needs shooting. You can get to the rim with LeBron James. Anthony Davis, as we know, can live down low. What they don't need is another ball-dominant player that kind of lives at the rim in Russell Westbrook. But that's what they have, though. So I am very concerned with this Russell Westbrook fit. I don't think it's going to work. I don't think he's kind of the right player to pair with LeBron James and pair with Anthony Davis. I have, I'm very skeptical of the fit, and I don't think it's going to be something that's going to really be harmonious out the year. That's the first reason why I have my doubts in Lakers. Number two, how about their defense? This is a very overlooked aspect of the Lakers coming into this, uh, this season, but their defense got significantly worse this year. That's a big deal, right? Because despite having... LeBron James, despite having Anthony Davis, and we've praised those two players a ton for what they are able to accomplish offensively. Mike, LeBron James is one of the best basketball players, if not the best basketball player in NBA history. 
He's a two-way guy, but for the most part now, we always talk about his offense making big-time shots and putting the offense you know, in clutch time position to succeed today, Anthony Davis. We're always talking about, oh, how many points did he score? How dominant was he? AD can take over game offensively for sure. But when they won the title in 2020, defense was their calling card. We look at these guys offensively, but LeBron James is a very willing defender when he has to be. Anthony Davis is a great rim protector, super athletic guy that can just take over a game on the defensive end. But also had tremendous guards. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Alex Caruso. They had some, you know, Avery Bradley when he was back on the 2020 team before he opted out. They had some tremendous, although he's back now, they had some tremendous defenders both down low and in, in the uh, backcourt that were able to kind of set the tone defensively and then get the offense going from there. Defense is their calling card. They're a huge team. Despite the names, defense is what they do well. And they lost a lot of defense. Contavious called up Pope, gone. Alex Crusoe, gone. And now you look at the guys who they replaced them with, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, DeAndre Jordan, Rajon Rondo. A lot of these guys are going to be on the court for a ton of time, and a lot of these guys are poor defenders. We saw it just on Tuesday night. The Warriors in the fourth quarter had their way with the Lakers defensively. They, they stuck around. They, they, they were stayed close the entire game. And it's why LeBron James going for 34 points and Anthony Davis going for 33 points. And Seth Curry, frankly, having a bad game. The Warriors were able to pull that win out and, frankly, win handily down the stretch because the Lakers couldn't get a stop. They couldn't stop Jordan Poole or Bielitsa, whoever the Warriors are throwing at them. Defensively, it's going to be an issue. So despite having two of the best players in the NBA in LeBron and AD, the Russell Westbrook fit has me very concerned. I don't think it's going to work. And defensively, they've taken a big hit. A lot of the role players they lost were key defenders that really made the small plays that ended up being, you know, small plays turning into wins. So those are two reasons why for the Lakers, I don't think the favorites come out of the West, and I don't think they are as heavy favorites as Vegas is making it out to be. Because you look at the other competitors in the West, I'm excited about the Suns. For me, last year was not a fluke. They came together. They played a very sustainable style of basketball. Chris Paul is the point guy. Now, he's getting a little bit older, but he really kind of showed so far no signs of slowing down. He's dealing with a few uh, injuries in the, pre- uh, in the postseason last year. Hope he gets healthy this year. But he has gotten the offense on track. Devin Booker is rising and become one of the great young stars in the NBA. DeAndre Ayton took a nice step maturity-wise. Offensively, defensive last year. Mikhail Bridges is a tremendous role player on the wings. This team is deep and legit. The only thing, honestly, that concerns me about the Suns, to be honest, is how DeAndre Ayton will respond to not getting a max deal. Like If he's not locked in, that has me concerned. But I think Chris Paul and the other veterans on this team will have his mindset the right way where I think he'll play motivated and play well this year. So I am excited about the Suns. And the Jazz, I know is another disappointing postseason exit for them last year. But this is still one of, if not the deepest team in the NBA, which is what you need. They improved their already talented bench. They added Hassan Whiteside. They added Rudy Gay. They added Eric Paschal. Again, not sexy names that really kind of get you going and get you excited. But I think come postseason time, the depth will be a huge difference for them this year and make them even more title threats than they were last year. I do think that style-wise, there are some issues that do pop up defensively for them, but I, I'm hoping and I do believe that last year was a major wake-up call that changes need to be made, whether it's Rudy Gobert taking him off the floor more, 
changing the way you play defense. I do think that the Jazz will kind of learn from their postseason loss last year and come back motivated and better than ever. So I like the Jazz coming into this year more than the Lakers. I like the Suns more than I do the Lakers. So I think Vegas is dead wrong about the West having the Lakers big-time favorites over everyone else. And in the East, I think I, I do would say agree with Vegas in one aspect. I think the Nets will win the East. But with that said, I think it's very, very close. Look, you could the odds just forget to win the title just to win the East. The Nets are favorites at minus 125. You got to lay money, some big time money here to win that bet. So the Nets are minus 125 to win the East. The Bucks are number two there, plus 425. I think they're way, way closer than that. Now, for the Nets, I will say, I do love the Kevin Durant and James Harden duo. For me personally, I think this team is actually better off without Kyrie. No distraction to worry about. He's in and out of the lineup, whether it's health, whether it's just taking a personal day and just not showing up because it doesn't feel like it. I do think the distractions and the baggage Kyrie brings is better, is too much, and he's better off on the sidelines not being there. So I do think that this KD and Harden duo will flourish, and this team will play better and more cohesive because there's not always a constant distraction floating around this team. But despite the Nets... Talent-wise, I think even being better than the Bucks, I think Milwaukee's right there. Like I, I do think that Milwaukee finally getting over the hump and winning a title, winning and making the clutch plays late in playoff games, I think will bring a tremendous amount of confidence and belief now going forward that tangibly we can't really talk about, like you can't really point to. I think that confidence down the stretch where they know, hey, we've done this before, we can do it again, I think will work wonders. Because I don't know about you, I doubted the Bucs a lot last postseason because I just didn't think they had the makeup to win these clutch games late. Right? We saw whether it was two years ago where they blew a 2 lead to the Raptors. Last year they got bounced, or two years, three years ago they blew the lead to the Raptors. Two years ago they lost to the Heat down in the bubble and kind of dominated by Miami as well. You kind of saw this here we go again from the Bucs that it felt like when they would anytime get close down the stretch. So they, they looked to me like a team that was afraid to take the final shot because they didn't want to lose the game. They played like a team that played not to lose instead of playing to win. And even at points last postseason, I think we kind of saw that. Chris Middleton would get gun shy and really struggle. As we know, Giannis taking you know, any sort of jump shot, you kind of hold your breath. There was, for me, a lot of doubts on how this team could finish and their inefficiency at times from Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday really did scare me. But now that you are able to win a Game 7, when really game six and game seven going down three, two after that incredible game five performance by Kevin Durant to get by the Hawks, to get uh, down, you know, after going out two to the Suns and winning four games in a row free that that confidence that the Bucks have finally cleared the hurdle. Like now will open up immense, immense confidence going forward. I think this will make them a tougher out than before. So now they have the confidence, even though for the most part, the team is the same. I think their aggressiveness will increase, their confidence will increase, and that'll make them even tougher out this year than maybe they were last year and the years past. But with that said, I still think the Nets will get past the Bucks in the East, and I will go with a Nets-Suns finals in the NBA. So I think Vegas is dead wrong here. They want you believing it's the Nets, it's the Lakers, and everyone else is not even close. I totally, totally disagree with that. It is way closer in the East between the Bucs and the Nets. That is a, almost a, a dead-even series. And in the West, I think the Lakers are the third-best team in the West. 
I like the Suns better. I like the Jazz better. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Is the NBA is underway. We are two days into the NBA season here. We always love, you know, kind of calling our shots. Let's do it now. Finals. Are you believing in the Lakers? Are the Lakers legitimately a finals team? Excuse me. Woo. Are the Lakers a finals team? And the Nets in the East. Are they that much better than the Bucks? Are you believing Milwaukee? Maybe another team in the East. Could give them a run for their money. I'm curious. I'd love to hear your NBA thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We get your thoughts. And when we do return, a big Thursday night football game is tonight. Browns and Broncos. Who needs this game more? And I'll also admit, it pains me to give this one team in baseball kudos. But I will because they deserve it. I'll tell you who that team is when the Ryan Hickey Show does return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the back Ryan Hickey Show. Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on this Thursday morning. Getting you ready for week number seven about to kick off in a few hours tonight in Cleveland. We'll give you your thoughts on that game in a second here between the Browns and the Broncos. But I do want to talk a little playoff baseball here quickly and give kudos where kudos belong. The Atlanta Braves win a tremendous and, for me, impressive Game number four in Los Angeles last night to go up now 3-1 and put the Dodgers on the brink. Season could end tonight in L.A. Braves trying to end that series and advance to the World Series. Now, I will say this. As a Mets fan myself, never easy to give the Braves compliments. But I will give them compliments here because after game three, to be honest, I thought this series was over and the Dodgers were going to win. You at home win the first two games. Both in walk-off fashion, okay. Happens, close games, you got the hit. Congratulations, the the, Bra- uh, the Dodgers, despite their loaded lineup, were not able to get that one hit. Props to the Braves, they were able to get the job done. And even game number three, going up 5-2 and controlling the game the way they did. Cody Bellinger hit that home run in the eighth inning to tie it up at 5-5. Then you had Mookie Betts doubling the, the winning run a little bit later on, and the Dodgers win an emotional game, which you thought they were dead. This showed you no signs of life, but all of a sudden that little spark... I really thought that home run was going to change the series for L.A. That could have really kind of been the here we go again for the Braves. Oh, my. Like, here come the Dodgers. This is the team that everyone thought, you know, was one of the best teams in baseball. On paper, they are the best team in baseball roster-wise. Here they come. And last night, going against Julio Urias, a 20-game winner. In game four, the Braves, I know it's more common, but going with a bullpen game to me is always a little spotty where – you never truly know if one reliever could come in there and get it. Juice Smiley was your kind of bulk pitcher, as you will. I thought it was a, not a great spot for the Braves to be in, and they just bludgeon, bludgeon the Dodgers. Solo home run after solo home run. Eddie Rosario right now, absolutely white hot. They continue to pitch to him, the Dodgers do, and he continues to make them pay. He's been absolutely tremendous so far through this postseason for the Braves. And the fact that they're able to continue to respond despite the adversity they go through, right? First losing uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. for the rest of the season after he got seriously hurt halfway through the year. Mike Soroka, one of their best young pitchers, unable to return after an Achilles injury. 
They have continued to just clear these hurdles. No problem. Two of our best players can't play. Fine. We don't need them. We'll continue to win. And they have. This is part of the reason why I love, honestly, playoff baseball is because you have, on paper, again, the most talented team in the Dodgers, 106 wins on the season. Going against a Braves team that I didn't give them really any shot, to be completely honest, of winning the series. And they come in there with their two best players. And still now put the Dodgers up 3-1. to one. On the brink. When you are hot, you are hot. Jock Peterson has been tremendous getting some big hits for this team. This has been a, I can't say a fun Braves team to watch. Because, again, as a Mets fan, I can never say that. But this has been the closest thing to that. Like, they have been tremendous. They have continued to show great resolve and continue to bounce back. It's one of those teams that, similar to the Nationals in 2019, where you keep thinking, oh, there's no way they'll continue this. There's no way they're going to continue winning. And they do. The Nats won the World Series that year. And you know what? At this point, it's tough to pick against the Braves. I picked the Dodgers before the series. I'm going to go down my pick. I think they'll come back. You know, I don't think they'll come back, but I'm still going to pick them for a miracle and come back down 3-1. But this Braves team, they are really showing tremendous resolve. And I just got to give props where props are due. This team has been incredible, continue to overcome adversity, and they so far have earned their way to one win away from going to the World Series. Congrats to them. The Astros on the flip side, too, I thought were going to beat the Red Sox. Have my concerns about the Red Sox, or about the Astros bullpen, I should say, when the Red Sox were just bludgeoning games two and three. They would just beat the crap out of this Astros bullpen that was getting no length from their starters. And despite that, bullpen has come back, despite being tired, have really shut down the Red Sox so far. And even though I picked the Astros kind of halfway through, I'm like, oh man, this pitching is so depleted. Like the Red Sox are just going to keep on blowing through the Astros bullpen here and it's going to get ugly. But it has not gotten ugly. Credit to the Astros again now, two games in a row. They showed tremendous bounce back, tremendous bullpen game essentially in game Number three, or game number four, and Frommer Valdez last night was absolutely dominant. Astros now go back home 3-2. Looks like we will get a Braves-Astros World Series here. Both teams can take care of business. Astros up 3-2. They play tomorrow night. Tonight, the Braves look to close out the Dodgers. Been a fun postseason. A ton of drama here. A ton of unexpected drama that I did not see coming. Also tonight, we have a game number five in baseball. We have a Thursday night special here. Browns and the Broncos. I'm curious your thoughts here quickly. Who needs this game more? Because for me, I know the Browns come into 2021 with higher expectation, right? For me, they were Super Bowl contenders. They are now three and three. Short week after, you know, a deflating home loss to the Cardinals. Despite the fact that the Browns, you know, still to me are way more Super Bowl and playoff viable threats than the Broncos. I think Denver needs this game more. They are in more desperate of a win than the Browns are. And frankly, I think we'd be criticizing the Broncos if they lose this game tomorrow more than we would be criticizing the Browns if they lose. Because you look at Cleveland's roster, they are decimated by injuries. Like, you look at going into this game. No Baker Mayfield, no Nick Chubb, no Kareem Hunt. It looks like Jack Conklin, their right tackle, is going to be out for the game, but Jedrick Wills, their left tackle, will play. So you have no quarterback, neither of your top two running backs on a run-first team, mind you. Your right tackle looks to be out. Oh, Odell Beckham Jr. is questionable. Like, you have so many injuries piling up. Your young um, outside linebacker, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, out for Cleveland. The injuries are so 
vast and so numerous that honestly, even though Teddy Bridgewater is dealing with his own set of injuries, this is a game the Broncos can't lose. You can't lose, I'm sorry, even on the road in a short week, to Case Keenum, Dearness Johnson, Felton's another young running back they have, and an offensive line that's beat up. You can't. This is a must, must win for the Broncos, to me, more than it is the Browns. This team that started off 3-0, not that everyone was believing in um, Denver, not that anyone was kind of buying into wins over the Jets, the Giants, and the Jaguars, but Vic Fangio's coaching for his job. Teddy Bridgewater is playing for his job. This is a Broncos team that I thought was going to be competitive, like 7-7 seven and, seven and, I guess, 10, 8-9 and nine sort of area for them this year. And I think the 3-0 start got some people believing. They look to be, to be frauds, and so far they're playing because they've lost three straight games. For the Broncos, who basically, to me, have to make the playoffs for Vic Fangio to keep his job, probably have to make the playoffs, if that, to, for Teddy Bridgewater to even have a chance to come back next year, this is a game you can't lose. I thought they would beat the Raiders coming off the emotional and turbulent week the Raiders had last week. The Raiders blew them out. You now cannot come, in, you know, come off a Raiders loss and then short week lose to the Browns B squad. You can't. Broncos desperately, desperately need this win. Now, with that said, I'm going to pick the Browns at home to win. I am. I think the Browns have a better coach. I think they are in a better situation even though, again, they're decimated by injuries, I think they are have a better game plan, more confidence, and I just have, I, I feel better about the Browns, even with Case Keenum at quarterback and two backup running backs playing, than I do about Teddy Bridgewater in this offense. This defense has been disappointing. The offense has been really not great. If you get Teddy to throw the ball, you're in big trouble. The offense line has been leaky at times as well. There are some legitimate concerns here for Denver, and I think some red flags that we kind of highlighted going into the season that are now kind of showing themselves to really be issues in Denver. So even though the B squad, with no Baker, no Nick Chubb, no Kareem Hunt, no Jack Conklin, Odell Beckham Jr. is questionable with a shoulder injury, it looks like Jedrick Wills is going to play the left tackle for the Browns, but again, he's been dealing with an ankle injury as well this season. So they're banged up. The Browns are banged up. With that said, though, I will take Cleveland tonight to start off week number seven with the win, get to four and three before they play the Steelers next week on Halloween. So that'll do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. Make sure you're always checking us out on social media, whether it's on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, whether it's on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, or at Ryan Hickey Show, YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, where we are there. And our app, WWSRN uh, for iPhone, Worldwide Sports, right now for Android. Enjoy the playoff baseball tonight and tomorrow. We'll see if the Braves can close it out. I will take them, put the final nail in the coffin here, and take down the Dodgers. See if the Astros can join the World Series tomorrow night. A lot of college football action, a lot of NFL action. A great, great weekend to be a sportsman. And the NBA is back. Enjoy it all. Hockey's back. All four sports this weekend will be in action. Great, great time to be alive. So enjoy it, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk to you on Monday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.